Welcome to Flip the Script Podcast. We have been happily born, or perhaps have unhappily dragged our way down along crooked streets of our lives, past all kinds of walls, fences, made of rotting wood, rammed earth, brick, concrete, iron railings. We have never given thought to what lies behind them. But there is where the gulag country begins, right next to us, two yards away from us. In addition, we have failed to notice the enormous number of closely fitted, well-disguised doors and gates in these fences. All those gates were prepared for us, every last one. And all of a sudden, the fateful gate swings quickly open, and four white male hands, unaccustomed to physical labor, but nonetheless strong and tenacious, grab us by the leg, the arm, the collar, cap, ear, and drag us in like a sack. And the gate closed behind us. The gate to our past life is slammed shut once and for all. That was an excerpt from the book, The Gulag Archipelago, written by Alexander Scholzenitsyn. I'm picking up where I left off after I finished Forward, written by Dr. Jordan Peterson. We're going to get into the first part of this series. I'm going to make a whole series on this book. The book is uh, pretty long. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to read sections of it, but it's going to be very detailed. I'm going to give commentary along with it. So we're going to get right into it. We're going to flip the script. This is about the arrest. How do people get to the clandestine archipelago? Hour by hour, planes fly there. Ships steer their course there, and trains thunder off to it, all with the near remark on them to tell of their destination. And at ticket windows and at travel bureaus for Soviet or foreign tourists, employees would be astonished if you were to ask for a ticket to go there. They know nothing, and they've never heard of the archipelago as a whole, or any of its innumerable islands. Those who go to the archipelago to administer it get there via training schools of the Ministry of Eternal Affairs. Those who go there to be guards are conscripted via the military conscription centers. And those who, like you and me, my dear reader, go there to die, must get there solely via arrest. Arrest. Need it be said, that it is a breaking point in your life. A bolt of lightning which has scored a direct hit on you. That is a unassumable spiritual earthquake not every person can cope with as a result of which people often slip into insanity. The universe has many different centers as there are living beings in it. Each of us is the center of the universe. And that universe is shattered. When they hiss at you, you are under arrest. If you are arrested, can anything else remain unshattered by this cataclysm? So it's talking about when you were first arrested to go into the labor camps of the Gulag. So the archipelago is many different labor camps all throughout the Soviet Union. They are, they compare them to islands. Archipelago is like an island. So these labor camps are islands in the Soviet Union all over the place. So now he makes a comparison that how does one end up there? If you're an administrator at the place, you, then you go, you're appointed there to the government. If you're a guard there, then you go there because of the uh, military. It's part of your military job that you go there. But then the lay person, the regular citizen of the Soviet Union, they end up there because they got arrested. Solzhenitsyn points out that in the event that you're being arrested to go into these labor camps. It is a devastating experience, not only for you, but also for your family. He goes on to talk about how when you're arrested, 
It's usually in the middle of the night so that only the people who live around you are affected by this arrest. And we're going to get into this, but the closer you live to a person being arrested, yeah, those people will know about it. But the farther you go out from that person, nobody's going to know about it. Nobody's ever going to hear about it. That's why it's, they do it in the middle of the night. But we're going to see as we read on that that's not just how they arrest people. They arrest people in other ways as well, through deception and deceiving. And we will get into that. We'll see that. As I'm going to skip forward a little bit, I'm going to flip the script. And that's all there is to it. You are arrested. And you find nothing better to respond with me. What? Or what? And that's all. And neither for the first hour nor the first day will you be able to grasp anything else. So first hour, the first day, you're going to be, why am I, why have I been arrested? What did I do to be arrested? I can't believe that I just got arrested. Except that in your desperation, the fake circus moon will blink at you. It's a mistake. They'll set things right. So within the first hour, within the first couple of days of you being arrested, you're going to say, this is a mistake. There's no way that what I'm being accused of doing is true. Um, you'll still find out that this is a mistake. They'll, somebody will get me out of here. And that's what you're going to be thinking. And then everything, which is by now compromised in the traditional, even literary image of an arrest will pile up and take shape. The sharp nighttime ring of the rude knock at the door. Entrance of the jackboots off the unsleeping state security operatives, the frightened and coward civilians witnesses at their backs. And what function does this civilian witness serve? The victim doesn't even dare to think about it and the operatives don't remember, but that's what the regulations call for. And so he has to sit there all night long and sign in the morning. For the witnesses jerked from his bed, it is torture too, to go out at night after night to help arrest his own neighbors and acquaintances. So people are chosen to be witnesses for these arrests. And they are taken as well, just as those who are being arrested and used as witnesses during these arrests. And they have to watch the arrest happen and they have to sign the paperwork of the arrest. Night after night, they go on these raids and they arrest people. They arrest their own neighbors. That's torture for them as well. Those who are called upon to be Witnesses, right? All right, let's flip the script. The traditional image of arrest is also trembling, hands packing for the victim. So the trembling hands of family members of somebody who's been arrested, right? They're trying to pack things for their loved one who's just been arrested. They don't know what to, they don't know if they should bring underwear, so that they should bring soap, something to eat. No one knows what they need or what's permitted, right? And what clothes they need to wear, right? But the security agents who perform the arrest, you know, they tell them to hurry up, hurry up. They don't need anything. Everything will be provided for them. It's warm there. You know, they don't need clothes. They don't need any of that. We provide everything. Right. And Shosanetta points out how this is all lies. Right. So the traditional image of an arrest is also what happens afterward. When the poor victim has been taken away, it is alien, it is brutal, and the crushing force totally dominating the apartment for hours on end, a breaking, ripping open, pulling from the walls, emptying things from wardrobes and desks onto the floor, shaking, dumping out, and ripping apart, piling up mountains of litter on the floor, and the crunch of things being trampled beneath jackboots. Nothing is sacred in this search. During the rest of a locomotive engineer, a tiny coffin stood in his room containing the body of his newly dead baby. The jurist dumped the child's body out of the coffin and searched it, 
They shake sick people out of their sick beds and they unwind bandages to search beneath them. For those left behind after the arrest, there was a long tail end of wrecked and devastated life. And then if people were to go deliver food to these gulags and they give the name of their loved one, they get responses of never heard of them. There's nobody by that name here. And they may never hear from their loved one ever again. Yes, and in the worst days in Leningrad, it took five days of standing in a crowded line just to get to that window. So in Leningrad, to even get to the window to talk to somebody about their loved ones, it might you may have to wait out there for five days before you even get there. Just to be told that nobody is there by that name and we never heard of this guy. And it may only be after a year or a year and a half that the arrested person responds at all, or else the answer is tossed out, deprived the right to correspond. And that means once and for all, no right to correspondence. That almost for certain means he has been shot. So after sending letters, after trying to reach out to a loved one, they may get a response back that their person, their loved one, has the, been given no right to correspond, which often means that this person has been killed or has died in the prison or in the labor camp. And that's how we picture arrests to ourselves. The kind of night arrest described is in fact a favorite because it has important advantages. Everyone living in the apartment is thrown into a state of terror by the first knock at the door. The arrested person is torn from the warmth of his bed. He is in a daze, half asleep, helpless, and his judgment is befogged. In a night arrest, the state security men have superiority in numbers. There are many of them, armed against one person who hasn't even finished buttoning his trousers. During the arrest and search, it is highly improbable that a crowd of potential supporters will gather at the entrance. The unhurried step-by-step visits, first to the apartment, then to another, tomorrow to a third, and provide an opportunity for security operations personnel to be deployed with the maximum efficiency and to imprison many more civilians of a given town than the police force itself in numbers. Arrests are classified according to various criteria, nighttime and daytime, at home, at work, during a journey, first-time arrests and repeats, individual group arrests. Arrests are distinguished by the degree of surprise required, the amount of resistance expected, even though in tens of millions of cases, no resistance was expected. And in fact, there was none. Arrests are also differentiated by the thought thoroughness of the required search, by instructions either to make out or not to make out an inventory of confiscated property or seal a room or an apartment, to arrest the wife after the husband and send the children to the orphanage or to send the rest of the family into exile or to send the old folks to a labor camp too. No, no. Arrests are very widely informed. In 1926, Armin Mendel, a Hungarian, obtained through the Conterum of two front row tickets to the Bolshe Theater. Integrator Kled was courting her at the time, and she invited him to go with her. They sat through the show very affectionately, and when it was over, he took her straight to the Lebanka, a flowering June day in 1927. On Kurznetsky, the plum-cheeked, redhead beauty Anna who had just bought some navy blue material for a dress, climbed into a handsome cab with a young man that could be sure it wasn't a lover's choice at all. As the casman understood very well, 
it was an arrest. In a moment, they would turn to the Labanka and to the Black Mall of the Gates. So this is what would happen. They had different types of arrests. They had the nighttime arrests like we just covered. And then they had the daytime arrests. It might be at work. It might be anywhere. And as you saw an example, this young man was courting this young lady. He was planning on arresting her the whole time. She fell for him and then she invites him to go to the show. She brings him. And after the show, she's arrested. Same thing happened to this other lady. She gets into a cab on a date and then she's taken straight to the prison camp. This type of deception and deceiving that they would do for arresting people. Sometimes they can't arrest people at their houses for whatever reason. So this they would do clandestine uh, deception arrest, right? All right, let's continue to flip the script. For several decades, political arrests were distinguished in our country precisely by the fact that people were arrested who were guilty of nothing and were therefore unprepared to put up any resistance whatsoever. Let me read that again. For several decades, political arrests were distinguished in our country precisely for the fact that people were arrested who were guilty of nothing and therefore were unprepared to put up any resistance whatsoever. There was a general feeling of being dis- destined for destruction, a sense of having nowhere to escape from the GPU and KVD, which incidentally, given our internal passport system, was quite accurate. And even in a fever of epidemic arrest, when people leaving for work said farewell to the families every day because they could not be certain they would return at night. Even then, most no one tried to run away and only in rare cases did people commit suicide. A submissive sheep is a find for a wolf. So they were arresting people who were guilty of nothing. They did not do anything to be arrested. So they had no reason to be prepared for being arrested. And no plan for what would happen if they were to be arrested. They didn't do anything to be arrested. So they would comply. Oh, it's a mistake. I can't really be, this this can't really be happening. I mean, they'll figure this out. This is wrong. So they were submissive. And as Alexander Solzhenitsyn points out, which is very important for the time that we're living in right now, so that a submissive sheep is defined for a wolf. Think about that. A submissive sheep. A sheep who just follows. Submits. It's perfect for the wolf. To devour him up. Uh, let's continue. Let's flip the script. Universal innocence also gave rise to the universal failure to act. Maybe they won't take you. Maybe we'll blow over. In 1937, a peasant approached him in an open market and passed him a message from a third person. Alexander Ivor, get out of town. You are on the list. But he stayed. After all, the whole school rests on his shoulders. And their own children are pupils here. How can they arrest me? Several days later, he was arrested. Not everyone was so fortunate as to understand at the age of 14, as did Ivana Levetsky, every honest man is sure to go to prison. Right now, my papa is serving time, and when I grow up, they'll put me in too. And they put him in when he turned 23 years old. The majority sit quietly and dare to hope. Since you aren't guilty, then how can they arrest you? It's a mistake. They are already dragging you along by the collar and you still keep on exclaiming to yourself, it's a mistake. We'll set things straight and let me out. Others are being arrested in mass. And that's the bothersome fact. But in those other cases, 
there is always some dark area. Maybe he was guilty. But as for you, you are obviously innocent. You still believe that the organs are humanely logical institutions and they will set things straight and let you out. Why then should you run away? And how can you resist right then? After all, it may only make your situation worse. You'll make it more difficult for them to sort out the mistake. And it isn't just that you don't put up with their resistance, but you walk down the stairs and tiptoe as you're ordered to do so, so your neighbors won't hear. Yeah, so Solzhenitsyn, he points out how, you know, if you're not guilty of anything, you don't, you didn't do anything wrong, you don't think you did anything wrong, why would they arrest you? A lot of people have faith in the government institutions and think that, even here in the United States, they think that they won't arrest you if you did nothing wrong. I was acting in self-defense. Look at Kyle Rittenhouse. Clearly acted in self-defense and what happened? He was still arrested. He was still charged and they were trying to put him away for life. When his life was in imminent danger and he defended himself in a clear act of self-defense, he was still charged and put on trial. You think that this, what happened in the Soviet Union can't happen here in the United States? 100% can. And we are electing officials who are willing to do that. Look at this guy that wore the horns on entered the Capitol on January 6th. The, uh, the Sharma, right? He had the big horns on. He was wearing animal, animal skins. This dude just walked in to the Capitol, started shouting, and he, was, he caught their whole attention because he was dressed ridiculous. That's all he did. He didn't fight to get in the Capitol. He didn't storm the Capitol. He just walked in after everything else was done. He went in there and started yelling and said a prayer and uh, it just looked ridiculous. And they gave him 41 months. 41 months. Guy didn't lay a finger on anybody. He didn't steal anything. Didn't lay a finger on anybody. He received no resistance walking in and he got charged. He got sentenced to 41 months. I guarantee you if he wasn't wearing animal skins and wearing horns, then he would have gotten a lot lighter sentence, but they made him the face of the January 6th riot, the insurrection. That wasn't, nobody's been charged with insurrection, so they keep on calling it an insurrection, but nobody's been charged with an insurrection. He got the heaviest sentence, somebody who did absolutely nothing. He just looked ridiculous, wearing horns and animal skins and walked in and just talked crazy. But they locked him up and locked him up for 41 months. Yeah, that is, this is happening in the United States. Uh, we are in some serious, deep trouble, have a lot of serious problems going on with our Justice Department. And this is why we need to be aware. We need to, we need to learn lessons from the past. We need to learn lessons from Alexander Shulzhenitsyn during the Soviet Union. If we don't know our history, it is bad to repeat itself. It's already repeating itself in the United States right now. People have such short memories. This is what we're doing here at Flip the Script Podcast. We are bringing these things from the past into relevance again. I have a friend who I sent him my podcast from when I covered the forward of Jordan, Pe Jordan Pearson's forward to this book. And he said, oh, I, I read that book. I was like, oh, he did? He goes, yeah, it was, uh, it was a pretty popular book back in, uh, you know, when I was coming up, when I was growing up, you know, uh, he was Russian and, you know, so it became required reading, but you don't really hear too much about it now. So that's why I'm talking about, I heard Jordan Peterson talking about it, said how much the book has changed him and had an impact on him. But I said, I could bring that 
my podcast as well. Depth podcast on it. Series on this book. This is the first part about the arrest and how you would get arrested doing nothing. Either they would destroy your house or they would take you out on a date and arrest you afterward. The deception, deceiving, destined under the cover of night or in broad daylight. That's what they're doing. We're going to stop here. This is Flip the Script Podcast. Out. Make sure you hit the like button, hit the share button, hit the subscribe button. I'll see you guys next time. Let's flip the script podcast out.